So James chapter 3, verse 1 to 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staying the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Traitors. Yeah, that got your attention, didn't it? Traitors. Uh, I'm not saying you're traitors. I don't know how many of us have seen the TV programme. I'm not necessarily recommending uh, watching it. But here's the premise. 20 people go to a beautiful uh, castle in Scotland. And three of them are secretly chosen as the traitors. And their job is to secretly murder the rest of the other 17 who are the faithful one by one. And the faithful have to work out uh, who is telling the truth and who is lying. Who are the traitors? Who is choosing? Who will be murdered uh, each night? Now, if you've not seen the program from that description, you probably think, uh, yeah, what is the fuss about? If you have seen it, you're probably thinking, I, I just love it. I, I'm addicted to it. Um, here is why I think it is so fascinating, a program. Mm -hmm. It's only a game. It's only a game. And yet things get so heated. And the reason they get heated is not because of who's going to win the prize. The, the reason things get so heated is because uh, of words. It's because of lies. Everyone is trying to work out who is lying. And uh, because of these lies, there are tears and there is arguments and there is fighting. It's just a game. But the words spread and they are totally poisonous. And the show just shows us how poisonous words can be. Now, here's the thing. If you've not seen the TV program, uh, you... You, you don't need to have seen it to know that words are poisonous. You don't need to ha have watched the program to know just how damaging words can be. We just need to think, don't we, about how we use our tongues at home. Uh, words from a husband or from a wife. Unforgettable words, toothpaste words that once they're out of the tube can't be put back. Our words to our children, sharp, snappy, overly critical Lacking patience and acceptance. And then we see the children 
imitate our words and our, and our tone to others. Uh, words to a housemate, words about a housemate uh, when they're not there. Uh, words at work, words typed on a phone. Uh, what a mess we get ourselves into. Well, if your words are a problem, I, I've honestly got great news for you this morning. And if you're an unbeliever, if you've come to church this morning and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, I think that we've got uh, words in here that could totally change your life. Totally change your life, uh, this passage. Now, that is a big claim. Uh, but the Christian claim is that it's God speaking. So uh, we should actually expect uh, nothing less. Now, as you heard read, we're continuing our um, series in James. Uh, it's a letter from uh, James, the brother of Jesus, uh, to, a, to a number of churches. And there were Christians who loved God, but they also loved uh, living in the world and being like everyone else in the world. Uh, they listened to God's words. They had good doctrine. Um, they knew the Westminster Shorter Catechism. They were at adult Sunday school. But they weren't putting it into practice. They were hearers of the words and without being doers of the word. They taught the talk, but they didn't walk the walk. And so James is writing to them to change this. And uh, rather than be those with loads of head knowledge, but no heart knowledge and no uh, change in life, he's writing to them so they might be whole Christians, so they might be consistent Christians, so that they might be free Christians. And uh, if we look at the sort of structure letter back in uh, chapter 21, James has flagged up sort of three main problems. Um, firstly, they didn't look after the vulnerable. Uh, secondly, they, were, they weren't any different from those they uh, lived amongst. And thirdly, they couldn't control their tongue. So just skim your uh, eyes back to chapter 1, verse 26. This is what James says. And, and this is hard for us to hear. 1 verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Worthless religion. Ouch. And we're going to hear James elaborate on that one verse now. Those three things he highlights, he elaborates uh, on uh, through the letter as well as other things as well. But now he's really turning his targets to how we speak and he wants us to be whole Christians. Uh, think of a, a cake, a birthday cake. It's meant to have sponge and icing, isn't it? If you have no icing on the cake, well, I guess it's still technically a cake, but it's not doing what a cake is meant to do, is it? You need good icing. It's like they're Christians without any icing on. They are Christians, but they're incomplete Christians, not doing what they're meant to be doing. Now, in many ways, James can be a quite, letter, a, quite a hard letter to hear. I don't know if you're, you're feeling that. Um, but that's because James loves the Christians he's writing to. And in reading this letter and hearing this letter to us, God loves us. It's a love letter from God to us. Now, when James speaks to these Christians, he wounds them, but they're wounds uh, of a friend. He says, I think three times in our passage, he calls them brothers or brothers and sisters. He loves them. He's not trying to give them a kicking. He's not saying, oh, you're rubbish Christians. That's it. He's wanting uh, to help them. And uh, we see that perhaps in, in the key verse of the whole letter. So chapter four, six to seven, again, just beyond our reading, it says this, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. 
Now, our reading did really start by humbling us, didn't it? Did you see that in uh, verse one? He said, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. We all stumble in many ways. That's obviously a real warning to someone like myself who is preaching this morning. What humbling words uh, to read uh, as I teach you. Because we all mess up in our words. That's what James is saying. No one escapes from it. Uh, But what he's trying to do is humble us. And he's trying to draw us uh, back to the Lord. And really, if we're going to sum up this passage, this is what it's saying. Let your tongue lead you to Jesus. Let your tongue lead you to Jesus or let your words lead you to Jesus. Now, James is going to lead us to Jesus by throwing us uh, three things about our tongues. And the first one is this. Your tongue is powerful. Your tongue is powerful. So really focusing on uh, up to verse five, from verse two to verse five, your tongue is powerful. Now, James is saying that the tongue is, is, sets the course of the whole person. It sets the course of the whole body. And it's quite surprising to think about it in many ways because our tongues are tiny. In fact, most of the time we can't see our tongues if you look at someone else, can you? But James is saying the tongue is like a horse's bit that controls the direction of a whole horse, a powerful horse. So verse 2 and verse 3 again, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, uh, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Now, I've uh, only broken a bone once. I broke my arm once. I think it was actually technically a fracture anyway, but that's as close I've got to breaking a bone. And it was when I was on holiday. I thought, oh, yeah, I'll ride a horse. No problem. How hard can it be? Well, I fell off it. Uh, and why, didn't, why did I fall off it? Um, it wasn't health and safety's problem. <laughs> it, it, I didn't control the bit in its mouth. I didn't control the horse. Um, and, and here's the principle. Here's the principle. Uh, the small tongue is small, but it's extremely powerful. It's disproportionately powerful, like a tiny bit in a huge, powerful horse. The tongue controls the direction uh, of our lives. They're small but powerful. At verse 4, uh, James goes on. He changed the illustration now. It's like a, a rudder on a ship, the tiny rudder at the back. And actually, I've got a great illustration for this. My father was, not my father, my grandfather uh, was in World War II and he was in the Navy. And uh, one of the uh, c- commissions he was given, not him individually, but uh, uh, he was given to do was to um, chase down the most powerful German warship called the Bismarck. And the Bismarck was just wreaking havoc uh, throughout the Atlantic Ocean. It was um, uh, shooting down all sorts of other ships. So they chased the Bismarck. And uh, one uh, plane came off an aircraft carrier and tried to launch a torpedo to hit and sink the Bismarck. But it it missed. It missed. The torpedo missed. Or at least they thought it had missed because it didn't make an explosion. But what this torpedo did is it actually hit the rudder. Uh, of the Bismarck and because it hit the rudder of the Bismarck it meant the Bismarck was just entirely stuck it couldn't go anywhere couldn't go left or right it had functionally speaking lost all of its power you see this extremely powerful extremely fast ship uh, was completely scuppered because it had lost its rudder a tiny rudder was in complete control of the destiny of that warship And James is saying, look, that is the same for you and I. 
Imagine we're like giant warships and yet we have a tiny rudder and it's our tongue and it will completely direct where we're heading. So like the bit in a horse's mouth, a powerful horse's mouth, or like the rudder on a ship, so is the tongue in us. That's what he says in verse 5. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. And here it says boasting. It's not talking about boasting in a sort of proud way. It's saying, look, it really can do so much. The tongue can do uh, great things. And God, we might think, well, why is it the case that our words are so effective? Our words are so powerful. We live in a world that God has made and he has made words incredibly powerful. So if you think about it, um, the, how was the whole universe created? It was created through words, wasn't it? God said, let there be light and the universe came into being. Um, earlier on, Rory was illustrating that, that sin is, is tainted everywhere. And that too was a result of words. So uh, Satan, through his words, um, cast out onto God's word. And a lie was believed uh, rather than the truth. And again, it brought the whole world uh, in uh, to the full. And then, of course, our salvation. We are saved through words, aren't we? Jesus Christ is the word of God incarnate. He's the word made flesh. But of course, how we're saved is through words as well. And again, we've seen that in James. If you just flip back to chapter 1, verse 18, look at the effect of words. So 1, verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Now, we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And again, 1, verse 21, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So words really matter to gods and the tongue is powerful because words matter and words are powerful and james is saying that our words set the direction of our lives now there's extent to which our words are the measure of how mature we are as christians so you can tell how, how mature someone is by the sort of words that come out of their mouth but, but actually, James is making a slightly different point here. It's, it's not just that they're the measure of our maturity, but they are the means of our maturity. In other words, if we want to uh, change our lives, a great place to start is our words. Because our words are so powerful and they set the course uh, of our lives. Now, children, if your body was a car, it's like your tongue would be the steering wheel. It sets the direction of where you're heading. Now, I think that's a bit surprising. I think it's a bit surprising that our tongues are that influential on where our lives heads. Now, in growing as Christians, in discipling Christians, in ministry, we often talk about um, head, heart, hands. I don't know if you ever heard that, head, heart, hands. And it's, it's actually a really helpful expression. I'm about to critique it, but uh, I don't like it too much. It's really, really helpful. And basically, um, the rationale behind it is this. Um, what we know in our heads, what we know about God and the gospel in our heads will affect how we feel about God, uh, affect how we love him, and that will affect how we live with our hands. So head, heart, hands, what we know will affect how we feel, will affect how we live. And that's broadly helpful, but I think what James would say, he'd basically say, yeah, great, that's really important because how we live is important. But rather than head, heart, hands, James would say head, heart, tongue. Because it's not our hands that set the direction of our lives, it's our tongues. Uh, it's our tongues that direct everything else. James is saying your tongue is very powerful. Now that might sound to you, hmm, is that good news, bad news? Not sure, it's, it, it's a fact, but here is some bad news now. Uh, your tongue is powerful 
Now, your tongue is also poisonous. So verse 5 to 8, your tongue is powerful, but your tongue is poisonous as well. So he, he starts, as it were, just saying, look, your tongues are actually quite amazing. They can do wonderful, wonderful things, amazing things. But there's a problem because your tongues aren't neutral. Your tongues are poisonous. We see that specifically in verse 8, but let's go through the verses. So verse 5, um, your tongues boast of great things. But then he goes on, uh, second half of uh, verse 5, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Our tongues are fire starters. They start at damage. They set events uh, into train that lead to destruction. And he uses this picture of a small fire leads to great destruction. A few years ago, I read this story. Uh, I, I haven't played golf for years, actually, but I'd love to play golf a bit more. There's a story about a golfer, and he hit his ball off the fairway. That's where you're meant to play into the rough, where you're not meant to play, where it's a bit wild. Uh, and this was in California. And he thought, well, I'll give it a go anyway. His ball was next to a rock. And you know what happened? He, uh, he tried to hit the ball. And as he hit the ball, his uh, metal club had struck the rock. Sparks came off. Uh, lit some dry grass and uh, literally within a few moments uh, 12 acres of woodland were destroyed by this fire the, the, the clubhouse wasn't actually destroyed but basically everything around it was a tiny spark started a huge forest fire and that's what James is saying just a t- the tongue with just a tiny spark or a tiny fire can cause a huge amount of damage and it is surprising, isn't it? Because our words, they're so small, aren't they? They're nothing. They're, they're just air particles. That's all our words are. And yet they do cause so much damage. And that's when verse 6, he can describe and create a new world of unrighteousness. In other words, everything can be brought down by our tongues. And they can set on fire the entire course of life. And again, we know this, don't we? It's essentially we don't need James to tell us any of this. He's just reminding us. We know that words can and words do. They can totally ruin marriages, whether it's unkind words, ungrateful words or complaining words. Words can de and wreck children where there's constantly heard overcritical words, harsh words, overly stern words. Words can tear churches apart as we speak to one another in unkind, ungracious ways. Words can ruin friendships. Our words are full of deadly poison. And the big problem with all of this is that there is nothing by ourselves we can do about it. Did you see that in verse 7 to 8? We can tame almost anything, he says, but no human being by themselves has been able to tame the tongue. Again, uh, another holiday was on holiday in animals. I don't know there's an association there for me, but I went on holiday and there was this a crocodile farm. And there was this guy and he literally could stick his head into the open jaws of a crocodile. It got open up and it was one of those really bizarre things because you thought, if this doesn't work, I'm going to witness a really gruesome death. But he did. He could stick his head into the open jaws of a crocodile. Someone in this world, I've seen it, I'm sure there's a number of people who have done it, someone has been able to tame a crocodile. But no human being has ever been able to tame their own tongue and again we know this i mean is it isn't it a relief when the scriptures speak to you like whoever wrote this knows me you might be an unbeliever and you might think i'm not sure i th- i'm not sure if i'm a christian i'm not sure i believe in god but doesn't the bible explain yourself to you 
explains myself to me, certainly. Uh, we can't stop exaggerating, can we? Uh, small lies for our benefits. We find it so hard, don't we, to uh, not to let others know about someone else's failings. We, we, we love to spread about other people's failings, don't we? We just, if we don't like someone else, we just love to make that known. And so we do. So they say, our tongues are a restless evil, full of deadly poison. They are weapons of mass destruction, you could say. So our tongues are powerful. Our tongues are also poisonous. And that leads us to the final uh, four verses I want to look at, uh, look at. So verse 9 to verse 12. Uh, it doesn't say this, but I think the effect of these verses is this. Our tongues point us to Jesus. Our tongues are powerful. Our tongues are poisonous. Our tongues point us to Jesus. So James shows us, James shows us what a mess we're in by how we behave on a Sunday. And we might think that's, that's, that's quite hard. Well, uh, look, look what he says in verse 9. We bless our Lord and Father. Let's say we praise God. When do, we, when do we normally do that? I guess some of us are doing that every day. Praise God if you're doing that. But all of us will be doing that on a Sunday. Uh, we'll be singing his praises. We've already done that and we'll be doing it again. In fact, in our last song, we're going to be singing these, this word in the chorus. He is Lord. He's Lord of all. It's a form of praise. Then our doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow. So we are all in a few minutes time going to be praising God. Here's the question. How long do you think it will take us after singing those songs to speak badly or negatively or unhelpfully? about someone else and James is saying that is what we naturally do even Christians that is what we naturally do but that it should not be I found myself doing exactly this last weekend I wasn't here um, I was at another church it was a great celebration four churches uh, meeting together to mark the retirement of a minister who'd been ministering for 27 years the theme of the whole service was thanksgiving and praise and it was a truly joyous event it was such an encouraging day um, it was uh, down south and on the journey on the way back, about a four-hour car journey. I couldn't help commenting to Harriet about a couple who were there. And I just said, do you know what? I just find them a bit too much. I just find them a bit too much. And honestly, I could not understand what had come over me. Harriet hadn't even asked, hey, what do you think of this couple? I just wanted to let her know that a couple annoyed me. It was shameful. I knew I was preaching on this passage next week. It was so convicting. How could I be in a wonderful church service where I, I truly believed it all, praising God, and yet at the same time just wanted to put other people down with my words? Brothers and sisters, James says, this should not be, and yet it is. And what's going on uh, in the entirety of James' letter is this theme of double-mindedness. He comes up with it in chapter 1, verse 8. We see it again in uh, chapter 4, verse 8. He talks about double-mindedness. In other words, we're inconsistent. And he fleshes that out a bit more now uh, in verse 11. He says, a spring, or I guess we might think of a river, a spring has either fresh water or salt water, not both. It'll either have a fresh source um, or it will have a salty source, but not 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 both. Again, verse 12, a plant produces fruit according to its nature, doesn't it? Last year, I grew uh, tomato plants and I didn't have much success. They weren't great tomatoes, quite brown, bit mouldy, right? But still, it was, they were definitely, plant, definitely tomatoes from tomato seed. I didn't produce any peas. Uh, tomato plants grow tomatoes. 
the last line, a salt pond can't produce fresh water. A salt pond produces salt water. The issue is this, the output reveals the source. So here's the thing, our tongues are powerful and our tongues are poisonous. And the tragic news is there is nothing by ourselves that we can do about it. We saw that, didn't we? Verse 7 to verse 8. No human being has tamed the tongue by themselves. The problem is on the inside, isn't it? So head, heart, hands, which is a head, heart, tongues. It comes back from our head and our hearts, doesn't it? We need a new source. The Lord Jesus Christ himself says this, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our poisonous words reveal a poisonous heart. Now, why is James telling us all of this? And we've got to remember in this passage that it's just part of one letter, or even you can say it's just part of one sermon. We're breaking it up. But it's part, there's, there's, there's a bigger picture than just this passage. And what James absolutely wants us to do is to humble us and to point us to our need to Jesus. And he's like a kind doctor. He's giving us uh, the test results, uh, not because he hates us, but because he loves us and he wants us uh, to get the cure for the disease. But of course, James isn't a medical doctor. He's a spiritual doctor. And what he points us to is the need, our need for the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants us to live the complete, consistent Christian life, the life that is truly free. But first to do that, he must humble us so that we can see our need for help. Now, maybe you've been convicted from your sin. I, I suspect most of us are convicted of our sin because it's just so, it, and James's point is just so obvious, isn't it? Our words are not what they should be. Uh, you realise if you reflect, actually, you've caused quite a lot of damage this week or this year with your words. The poison has spread. Well, here's the thing. Conviction is the work of the Spirit. Conviction is the work of the Spirit to point us to our Saviour. James doesn't just want to give us a kicking. He wants to heal us. He wants to make us whole. And let's go back to chapter 4, 6 to 7. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. God gives grace to the humble. God helps those who ask for help. Why does he do that? Because the Lord Jesus Christ died for all sins, including the sins of the tongue. And when we come to Jesus for mercy, he not only forgives us our sins, he starts to change us, to transform us. Do you remember verse 8? No human being can tame the tongue. But what is impossible for man is possible for God. The Lord Jesus Christ can change us from the inside to the out. Can I just speak uh, directly again to anyone who uh, wouldn't call themselves a Christian? Uh, wouldn't you love it? if you're able to stop putting your foot in your mouth? Wouldn't you love it if you stopped causing uh, fires all uh, uh, over the place? Maybe it's deliberate at the time, but you reflect and you think, oh, my, my tongue is just self-destructive. I can't help it. Well, if that's you, come to the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for your sins and he says, I will help you. Come to him asking for mercy. He will forgive you. And he will start to change you. 
And it's wonderful news. Jesus offers freedom. That's why throughout James's letter, he talks again and again and again of the goodness of God. Every good and perfect gift is from above. He gives the law of liberty, the law of freedom that enables to live a life to the full. And those of us who are believers, well, we actually just need to hear exactly the same thing because the way into the Christian life is the same as the way on in the Christian life. So let me just ask you, uh, brothers and sisters, those of us who are believers, are you proud of the way you speak to your husband or wife? Are you proud of the way you speak to your children? Are you proud of the way you speak to your colleagues? Are you proud of the way you speak to other believers, maybe to other believers or about other believers? How would you feel if, as an experiment, I asked you, well, I'm not going to, but I asked you to all get your phones out now, unlock it, and then just give it to someone else at church. So yeah, feel free to read all my messages. Feel free to look at all my social media. Feel free to read all my DMs. Would you be embarrassed? I would be embarrassed. I suspect you would be as well. Uh, and the reason is we, we are not perfect. We're far from perfect. And James has diagnosed our problem. It's our tongues. They are poisonous. They set life on fire. But the great news is, is that is why the Lord Jesus Christ came for you. That is why the Lord Jesus Christ died for you, to forgive you for your sins and to transform you, to make you whole, to make you consistent, to make the outside uh, be like the inside. So come to the Lord Jesus Christ if you're a believer again and again and again, and he will help you. And there's something else that James says uh, we should do as well before we go back on specifics of speech. If you just look to the end of the letter, uh, 5 verse 16, James says this, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Confess your sins to one another. Having been humbled by the Lord, let's be humble towards one another. Knowing that we all fail with our tongues. Is there someone you need to say sorry to? I'm sorry for the harsh word. I'm sorry for being so critical recently. I'm sorry for that comment I made on Facebook, Instagram. I'm sorry for that comment I made in the group chat that was actually pretty undermining of you. I'm sorry for my thoughtlessness. See, the tongue can boast of great things. And one of the things the tongue can also boast of is reconciliation. And there is amazing power uh, when we confess our sins to one another to restore not just our relationship to God when we confess our sins to him, but we can restore relationships to one another when we confess our sins to each other. And so knowing God's mercy, knowing God's mercy and his grace, let's use our tongues for good. What would that look like? I think maybe a really helpful thing we can think about when we're using our speech is, is this, saying, is what I'm going to say, is it true and is it helpful? Is it true and is it helpful? You see, a Christian should never say these words. I'm just being honest. I'm just being honest. That, that is not how we should speak as Christians. No, just being honesty. Honesty, yeah, good, but not just honesty. Honesty uh, with love got sent a meme uh, <laughs> uh, I got sent a meme recently and, and it's, I don't really get it but pop culture apparently I'm just truth telling that's what I said I'm just truth telling and uh, it's clearly from a very funny film but I'm just truth telling I'm just truth telling a Christian should never just be truth telling a Christian those who hold truth and love together truth and grace 
together. So what would that look like in our different groups? Well, let me speak to students, other younger folk. And what's the tone of your conversation with your housemates? Are you always seeking to be positive to others, to build others up? Or would you rather bring people down? Do you love a negative chat, negative gossip? Are your words a blessing or a cursing to your shared accommodation? And then families, husbands, and when was the last time you genuinely blessed your wife with your words? Wives, when was the last time you genuinely blessed your husband with your words? Words are free. Words can be such a blessing, can't they? And yet we're so slow to do it. We'll repent, come to Lord Jesus Christ, ask for his mercy and bring words of life into your home. Parents, knowing God's mercy is mercy and patience characteristic of your words to your children. What blessing your words alone could be to your children. Uh, Children, uh, how are your words to your parents? How are your words to your brothers and sisters? No one can tame your tongue. You can't tame your tongue, but God can. Ask him to help you and he will do it. And all of us, as we go out into the world, living among unbelievers, are we known for those whose words just set everything on fire? When you come into the room, people just cringing because you're going to bring everyone down with either what you say or the way you say it. Are are we known as those who are in the world whose words are a healing balm, building people up and de-escalating conflicts? No human being can tame the tongue, but God can. And he's told us to come to him for mercy. And he's told us to come to him for change. So why not? Let's do that now. Let's ask him for help. And then us anticipate uh, wonderfully what God might do with our tongues that can boast of great things. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are truly uh, a good God. And we're so sorry that we don't reflect your goodness in our words. Father, we bring before you now the words that we've said, either the way that we've say, said them or what we've, or what we've actually said. Uh, we are so sorry for them. Have mercy on us, we pray. Father, we don't deserve a place in your kingdom. We don't deserve your acceptance. We are not who we ought to be. But we praise you that you draw near to those who draw near to you. So we draw near to you now through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask you for mercy. Please have mercy on us, we pray. And help us to use our tongues for the building up of others. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.